Welcome back, friends. Good to have you back. I just cannot wait every week to tell my story. Uh, I think I'm a storyteller, and of course, the, the real test is whether you folks think so as well. So I was telling about Kuyati's apprentices. He unwittingly, like most of the things he lands into, landed in a, an apprenticeship program at the prison where he was the head carver for the personal glory of the prison head, of course. But whatever works. And Kuyati uh, thinks that their cell bully had to be pretty bad if they preferred to spend their days with an animal like himself. Well, that was their perception anyway. I tried to explain that it was only a teller I shot, not four bank managers, and uh, that shooting a teller was bad enough, actually worse than shooting a manager because of her children, and that it had been an accident, and that it wasn't because I needed money to buy bronze that I did it. What's the use, Ms. Heron? Here I have to explain, in the previous episode I called it brass, it's not brass, of course, it's bronze. Sculptors, uh, famous artists use bronze. What's the use, Miss Heron, he, he asks. Nobody believes me. They were not willing to accept that their workshop brute, unbrutish as I am, was not a notorious demon-possessed mass murderer come artist. They weren't going to let mere facts spoil a good story. And uh, there was no out of it I was going to have to teach them. So Kuyati looks around for a project to start them on. He gives them carving knives. Uh, fortunately, they're locked up in the workshop so they can only kill the three inmates at most. Every sharp tool is locked up. Kuyati has his old familiar embarrassment if he cannot sign the sharp tools out because he cannot read or write. That's such an injustice and I lay it at the feet of his mother. I hate Coyote's mother. There's a sheet of paper, he tries to sign up and he gets uh, one of the new apprentices whom he calls a scribe from that moment on to sign out the tools give them each a couple of pieces of balsa wood, a, a great treasure in Kuyati's life. And uh, he showed them real quick what the basic cuts were, were and take a piece of balsa and he drew the outline of a crocodile on it. And he remembered you know, he goes into another world when he's carving, but somehow he, he remembered that they are there and went out of his little paint room to the big workshop to see how they were doing. The big guy whom he baptized, Big Ben, his balsa black was listlessly pointing to the floor and the scribe was clutching his piece to his chest. So uh, I'm reading here. I asked them why they hadn't carved a single notch. Scribe said, Hey, brother, how can we do this? It is too hard. 
And Big Ben says, we couldn't even see your hands move. I can never make a crocodile. And Scribe says, and, and the world is on his shoulders, we'll have to go back to sitting in that cell all day long if we don't succeed. Goyati says, I felt sorry for them. I said, no, 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 friends. We, I won't let that happen. Anybody can carve. I just went too fast. I was embarrassed to say this, Miss Aaron, because I'm not a bragger. But I seem to be more of an expert than I realized. He's, he's beginning to suspect that he's pretty good. I sat down and showed them each cut slowly and carefully. Then I watched them make the cuts and position their hands until they got it right. Soon each had carved half a crocodile by just following my pencil lines on the wood. It was the first time they had done something useful in many, many years. And hope begins to flicker up in the souls of of these poor degenerate people. Judge degenerate. Scribe said, maybe I can send this crocodile to my grandson. Eyes were sparkling and back straightened up. I remember the, the rhyming games we used to play behind the cattle. I, I turned over a plastic bucket and drummed. Katlakapak. You're making it, not breaking it. You're giving it, not taking it. Koyati says, when I looked up, they were both dancing. I had to make them stop. They resumed their careful beginner's carving, but they were humming my silly rhyme. So the question is, of course, is Koyati a teacher? I think when he crawls out of his shell, which he only does when there's wood carving involved. He's a fantastic teacher. And now there's a new sparkle in these miserable creatures' eyes. Big Ben, says Coyote, is an emotional wreck. He's like a Rambo, a big tough guy. But once he starts crying, you better get the mop and a bucket. Remember how Rambo can cry, Miss Heron. So I promised plenty of digressions. So here's a digression for you. Uh, Kuyati has a lot of movie references in his in his uh, di in his monologue dialogue. If you count uh, Miss Heron as a person, and the technique I'm using to get around the fact that Kuyati has never heard on Netflix, in fact. By the time this all happens, uh, Netflix hadn't even been invented yet, is the, the rerun emporium, or what the heck did I call it? It's a disreputable establishment two blocks to the seedy side of the glittery cineplex where the current movies are showing. But this uh, despicable creature who runs the rerun palace he shows pirated movies. Koyati uh, uh, thought he must be a Somali pirate who get these movies off ships. But uh, I think I mentioned this before. That didn't stop the Somali pirate in the rerun palace from showing every movie he could get his hands on, including First Blood, uh, Rambo's first story. 
uh, which I'm referring to here. Kuyati says of Big Ben, a Big Ben is an emotional wreck, Miss Aaron. He's like Rambo, a big tough guy, but once he starts crying, you better get the mop and a bucket. In this instance, Big Ben is crying because he can see a future for himself again. He's crying out of gratitude. He says, not only, he says, I can carve a crocodile, Coyote. Maybe someday I can go to the carver's market and sell my crocodiles. And this is where Coyote encourages uh, this big man and consoles him. Coyote says, not only crocodiles, hippos are easy, for example. They're just fat round bellies with legs and big mouths. And he says to them, tall giraffes are nothing, as long as you start with a long slender blank. If you work with its slenderness and the beauty of the wood instead of against it. Coyote turns into a poet when he talks about wood carving. And he concludes, my apprentices had stars in their eyes. They hadn't given as much thought to beauty in many years. There's a little pause space in the book here, and then I continue and I say, the bastards repaid me by listening at the door of my paint store and telling the entire prison that I never stopped talking to myself and that I even sang songs about baboons in there. That's how insane I was. They obviously and, and luckily didn't know that Koyati was talking to Miss Heron. If they did, I suppose the stories would be much worse. And Kuyati ends by saying, that's what goes for gratitude in Africa. The next two chapters contain folk tales. One I got uh, from the internet as a Hausa folk tale. The Hausa are a tribe in West Africa. And this tale is messed up, as you will see. And the next one, uh, Rabbit and Crocodile, in the next chapter, I made up all by myself. It's hard to tell if I had read scraps of it earlier in my life. Uh, one obviously tries to give attribution where you can. He says, Koyati uh, says, I wasn't too angry with my apprentices for their tall stories about me. I understood that they were in a way bragging about their new position. They were saying, your brute may be mean, but ours is insane. The incident reminded me of a story Elder Tabari once told about gratitude. I'll never forget that telling. And I'm going to read the story of the heron, the snake, and the farmer in its entirety. So I'm not a voice artist, but the story itself is pretty intriguing. Once a snake came slithering up to a farmer who was hoeing in his field. Please hide me, he pleaded. The villagers are chasing me to kill me. Where shall I hide you? Asked the farmer. Probably looked around him in the open field that he was hoeing. Squat down and I'll hide in your bowels, begged the snake. My life is at stake. 
The farmer felt sorry for the snake and squatted down, and the snake entered, crawled into his bum. The villagers arrived in a big cloud of dust. We see you, farmer, they said. I see you, said the farmer, which is a greeting. Where is the snake we are seeking to kill, they said. He ran in your direction. In Africa, snakes run. I haven't seen the snake, said the farmer. If you do not tell us where he is, we'll kill you too, said the villagers. The farmer became afraid and hesitated, but the snake bit him on the inside and he doubled up in pain. The villagers noticed that the farmer was sick and left him, looking far and wide for their quarry. When all was quiet, the man groaned, You can come out now, snake. But the snake said, Oh no, I've got me a home. And there the farmer was, sick from the poison, his stomach all swollen like that of a pregnant woman, and with the snake still inside him. Making his way home, he met the heron. He winked at the heron and they put their heads together. Go behind the bushes and do your business, said the heron. When you're done, keep your head down, lift up your buttocks and whistle for me. The farmer did as he was told. Soon the snake came out and started catching flies. The farmer whistled as loudly as he could. The snake was startled and rushed back, right back into the farmer's bottom. But the heron came swooping down and grabbed the snake by its tail, which was still sticking out. He pulled the snake out coil by coil and ate him coil by coil. The farmer fell over on his side and lay there holding his stomach, writhing in pain, but relieved to be rid of the snake. Heron, he said, you've got the snake out of me. Now please give me medicine for his poison. Cook and eat the white fowl, said the heron. That's the medicine for the snake's poison. Oh, groaned the farmer. You like look like a white fowl. And he grabbed the heron and tied his feet together and dragged him up the hill to his home. He went into his hut and hung the lamenting bird upside down from the roof on a leather strap. The farmer's wife took pity on the heron. Oh, husband, she said, this bird saved your life by pulling the snake out of you. And now you have hung him upside down and you say you're going to slaughter him. She grabbed hold of the heron, unhooked him from the roof and loosed the leather thong the farmer had tied around his feet. As the heron fluttered out the door, he pecked out the left eye. As for the farmer, a piece of the snake had broken off in his gut, and its venom continued to cause him pain as long as he lived. Well, Koyati was quoting, quoting this from a story evening that Elder Tabari had held in his village when he was a child. And uh, normally there was a group of tourists you know, in their folding chairs on the village green. Village green was the grand name that Elder Tabari had given to an area of patchy grass in front of the tourist hut and uh, next to the bus station. Koyati remembers that the tourists have been muttering. It was a horrible story. Even so, they were spellbound because it was like a car crash. You just had to look. 
He says, but Albert Tabari wasn't finished. There was a moral to the story. In fact, two models. One was, if you see a cloud of dust in Africa, somebody is repaying a kindness. And the other was, removing the thorn does not always remove the pain. You may wonder why I included the story. And the point is, I don't, I don't refer to it specifically later on the book. But uh, especially as an artist, also as a human being, Coyote has a pain inside of him. That's that remaining head of the snake that still bites him on the inside. That is, I'm sharing stuff here with you, that is intensely personal because we left South Africa in 1996 and a coil of that snake has remained inside my gut and I still feel the pain today in 2020. Still. Miss the old country. Okay folks, see you next time.